I'm Jacob Schatz. And I'm Bryce Miller. And this is Talking Atlas. With both co-hosts. Huzzah! Also, I said talking as though I was saying, like, tall king. <laughs> you can say it again if you want. No, I, I'm comfortable with it. I just, I, it stuck out in my mind. That's fine. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Atlas, where Jacob and I are getting over a strange case of the slightly awkward scheduling. We're finally back in the studio together to bring you Commander 2018 spoilers. By rights, we would have brought you this episode probably about a week ago, but I was in Seattle, which was great. I also got to stop in at Wizards Headquarters, which was also neat. Not like a tour or anything, but you can just visit the Sheevan Dragon in their lobby, Mitzi, which is cool. You can do that. Uh, Don't flood them all at once. That'd be weird. Is it really a Shivan dragon? I didn't realize. I just thought it was like a red dragon from D&D or something. Okay, you have a fair point. I do not know for sure. I'm not clear enough on the, I almost said etymology, on the genealogy <laughs> and such of Shivan dragons, but I have had at least one person who worked at Wizards refer to it as a Shivan dragon. All right, I'll accept that. That works. But we're not here to talk about Sheevan Dragons. I mean, I guess we are sometimes. It is a magic card, and this is a magic podcast. But we're here to talk about Commander 2018, at which point I'm going to hand over to Jacob, because I've done a lot of talking. So Jacob can tell you about the start of <laughs> Commander 2018. I know you want to. Come on. Oh, yeah. I am so jazzed about Commander 2018. In fact, well, I just lied to you. That's the fact. I'm not super jazzed about Commander 2018, which is... A weird feeling. Commander and I are at a weird place in our relationship. It's the format that really got me into magic, and it's the format that I've been most looking forward to for the last few years of products. In fact, I bought all four of the Commander 2017 decks. Commander 2018, by all rights and from outward appearances, should be a product that I am thrilled by. There are four decks, bunch of multicolor decks, and the big selling point this time around is Multicolor Commander Planeswalkers, which one of the first decks that I made was from a mashup of two of the monocolored Planeswalker Commanders that they released in, gosh, 2014? 14, got it. But as I'm looking at the product as a whole, I, I don't really know what it's trying to do. There's... A lot to take in here, and the decks themselves seem a little bit scattershot. Traditionally, the Commander product has been well-reviewed for having pretty powerful decks with a relatively consistent theme that can stand up to at least casual Commander play. These decks are... weird. Their themes aren't quite delivered on, and some of the themes, in my opinion should not have been the theme of the deck. But card by card, it's still got some interesting stuff going on. There's some space that's being played in that hasn't been played in before. But overall, I don't know what to make of it. It's a product that I'm not hating. I don't think I, I care enough about what they're doing here to hate it, but that's a problem in and of itself. I think you hit the nail right on the head in the sometime lack of thematic unity in these decks. Longtime podcast listeners to this one, not just podcasts in general, <laughs> will know that I am really into Commander. It is, in fact, the format I play far and away more than anything else. The only reason it isn't the only format I play is because I like Pauper Commander and I just started playing Modern. 
And I too am always chomping at the bit for commander deck spoilers. Jacob described that some of these decks are very on theme. Some of them really are not. So before I, I keep talking in circles around what these themes are, let me lay it out for you. In line with last year's decks, we have four pre-constructed commander decks this year. They are billed as follows. The Bant deck, blue-green-white, is enchantment-themed. The theme is often referred to as Enchantress. The blue-red deck is artifact-themed. Okay, blue-red artifacts, that makes sense. It's a high-demand color combination and theme. The black-red-green deck is billed as Jund Land Matters. Jund just being the color combination, but lands and also lands in graveyards, which is not an unpopular theme. See the Gitrog monster from Shadows Over Innistrad, one of Jacob's favorite cards. Please do see the Gitrog monster. You might never unsee him. That's the idea. And finally, there is the white-blue-black, that's Esper, top deck manipulation deck, which also sounds like a pretty cool theme. I would say that in order of success, you have the Enchantress deck, a bunch of excellent commanders for the theme and a couple of cool enchantments. Great. The Artifact deck, multiple cool artifact commanders that play in different spaces, one of whom is an artifact and produces artifacts, but isn't specifically constrained to just artifacts, which is fine. The top deck manipulation deck, okay, there are some weird themes going on, but really only one and a half of them really feel like they deliver on it, maybe? And then there's the Land Matters deck, the Jund deck, and that is not as billed at all, really. It has been much maligned for not following through on the concept of Lands Matter. I don't want to be the 800th person to talk about it, but you kind of have to. This isn't really a Lands deck. And one of the biggest problems with it is it doesn't have a lot of interesting lands. And that's been a continual point of pre-constructed commander decks. It's really hard to get some of those better lands into these decks because lands more often are going to be expensive to get the good ones. To dig more into these themes, we also should let you know what the commanders are for each theme. So Jacob, if I might, I would love to start off with the Enchantress theme and demonstrate how the commanders, I think, really hit the nail on the head. Yes, sounds good. I very nearly said hit the ball on the head, which makes zero <laughs> sense and also is probably not going to do much. That metaphor wasn't just mixed. It was put in a blender on Liquify. <laughs> As mentioned, each deck has a Planeswalker that can be your commander. For the Enchantress deck, it is Estrid the Masked. She is one green-white-blue for a Planeswalker that enters with three loyalty counters. Plus two, untap each enchanted permanent you control. Minus one... Create a white aura enchantment token named Mask attached to another permanent. The token has enchant permanent and totem armor. Totem armor says if that permanent would be destroyed, instead it isn't, and you destroy the thing with totem armor. Then minus seven, put the top seven cards of your library into your graveyard. Return all non-aura enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Then do the same for aura cards. And the critical line, Estrid the Masked, can be your commander. There's something I want to say about the overall design of Planeswalker Commanders in this set, and really cards in this set in general, that I will save for after we've gotten through each theme. For Eshrid individually, she clearly is encouraging you to play Auras, which I'm pretty fine with. Auras are a large subset of enchantments, and there isn't really a good existing Bant Auras Commander, despite 
Bant having a lot of cars that individually care about auras. Another Bant commander is Tuvasa the Sunlit. Green, white, blue for a 1-1 creature merfolk shaman. She gets plus one plus one for each enchantment you control, and when you cast your first enchantment spell, each turn, draw a card. This is the Enchantress theme incarnate. The term Enchantress in Magic has come to mean a creature that when you cast an enchantment spell, you draw a card. Having a commander who is nominally an Enchantress, it's exactly what you want. And you can build this however you want. You could do an enchantment creatures deck. You could do an auras deck. You could do a regular enchantments deck. Pillow Fort. Very flexible. Finally, the Bant deck has Kestia the Cultivator. One green, white, blue for a 4-4 legendary enchantment creature nymph. And let me do what I can to contain my excitement that Wizards <laughs> has given us the first new enchantment creature since Journey into Nyx. Gosh, I love this setting. I love enchantment creatures so much. Anyway, her text box says, bestow three green, white, blue, which means that you can pay her bestow cost to cast her as an aura with enchant creature. Then if that creature goes away, she is on the battlefield as a creature. Enchanted creature gets plus four, plus four. And whenever an enchanted creature or enchantment creature you control attacks, draw a card. Once more, very strong, flexible design that lets you use auras or enchantment creatures as a theme. That to me is especially notable, that last point, because there are no other cards in Magic that are legendary that call out enchantment creatures in specific. In fact, Theros block itself had almost no cards referred to enchantment creatures by name. Off the top of my head, there are two notable ones. One is Extinguish All Hope, a board wipe that destroys all non-enchantment creatures, and Oduno's River Trawler, with lovely art by Seb McKinnon, who did some art for this set, I'm sure we'll discuss how gorgeous that is which can recur enchantment creatures from your graveyard to your hand. What I have outlined are three very distinct commanders, all of whom can play to at least one aspect of a blue-white-green enchantment strategy, many of them in different ways, and some of them in intersecting ways. This deck, totally on theme. For what it's worth, I agree completely. The Bant commanders here are interesting mechanically and also i'll say that the flavor for each of these is spot on and it's a range of different flavors that we're given estrid i have so many questions about where estrid's from what exactly her magic can do it's different and it's a thing that i've been asking for planeswalkers for a while to have is a different way that they interface with the magic of multiple planes Estrid obviously has her mask enchantments, and those are going to look different depending on what magic plane she's drawing from. Kestia is a three-color enchantment creature from a world that has pretty strictly divided color lines. The gods have their domains, and Kestia is leaning between two of those. Ifaros with the white-blue civilization, and Karametra with the green-white agriculture themes. And Tuvasa is probably the, I'll say weakest, but that's a little too harsh of the three. But she is drawing from Ixalan, and another three-color part of Ixalan that we haven't explored very much. Similarly, the red-blue artifact commanders do a good job of playing in different mechanical spaces within a pretty broad theme, as well as using the flavor resources expertly. The Planeswalker for the red-blue deck is Sahili the Gifted. Two blue-red for a legendary Planeswalker, Sahili, she enters with four loyalty counters. Her plus one ability is create a 1-1 colorless servo artifact creature token. Her 
second plus one ability is the next spell you cast this turn costs one less to cast for each artifact you control as you cast it. And her ultimate is a minus seven ability that says for each artifact you control, create a token that's a copy of it. Those tokens gain haste. Exile those tokens at the beginning of the next end step. I appreciate that Sahili is being given the Planeswalker spot here, firstly because it's kind of the obvious choice. She was the artifact Planeswalker, red-blue from Kaladesh, and we've got an artifact deck that needs a Planeswalker commander that's red-blue. Perfect fit. But also, Mark Rosewater remarked on this on his blog, this is giving Sahili a little bit of leeway from being the thing that prevented them from doing a red-blue artifact commander in Kaladesh block. She is redeemed a little bit here by being a red-blue artifact commander that also represents Kaladesh. Brief aside, it is a travesty that Mark Rosewater does not have some kind of segment called Remark. (laughs) Pray continue. Another of the red-blue artifact commanders is Thanos, Ursa's Apprentice. Thanos is simply blue and red for a 1-3 legendary creature human artificer with haste and an activated ability of blue-red tap copy target activated or triggered ability you control from an artifact source. You may choose new targets for the copy. With reminder text, mana abilities can't be targeted. Huh. I'm not sure why that particular piece of reminder text is there. There are probably people who are thinking about a mana ability as a thing that you might activate which is which is true it's an ability that like you might pay a cost of tap but if you're not as rulesy as we are you might not understand that a mana ability is a separate concept from an activated ability even if a mana ability can involve paying a cost like tap i understand now i also think that i was parsing mana abilities can't be targeted as mana abilities do not have a target which oh yes is usually true yes In fact, I think that specifically a mana ability, there are abilities that produce mana but also target a thing, and those aren't technically mana abilities. This is so confusing for what I've done. This doesn't really matter. Everything's going to be fine. Also, I don't know a darn thing about Thanos, but I recognize the name, so it's good that they're drawing from a back catalog of characters. Speaking of back catalog of characters, here's one that I didn't know that I wanted, that I did very much want, quite a lot once I knew it existed. The third red-blue artifact commander is Brutaclad Telcor Engineer. Brutaclad is four blue-red for a 4-4 legendary artifact creature, Artificer, with creature tokens you control have haste, and at the beginning of combat on your turn, create a 2-1 blue mirror artifact creature token. Then you may choose a token you control. If you do, each other token you control becomes a copy of that token. Brutaclad has been mentioned on a magic card before. Exactly one magic card. Sarkamite Mirror from Future Sight. Sarkamite Mirror is a funny flavor case because it was kind of a card hinting at the Phyrexian corruption impending for Mirrodin. I'm not sure if Brutaclad has been explicitly referenced to be from New Phyrexia, but he's from New Phyrexia. He's totally from New Phyrexia. This copy effect is also super weird. Short-time listeners of the podcast, this one specifically, will know that I like clone effects. I've mentioned it on the last couple of favorite cards videos that we've done. Videos? We don't do videos. videos. We don't do videos. Oh, that would be great. Jacob, we've been an audio medium for two and counting years. 
And yet we still call them our viewers. I know, right? Let's just make it a bit. We'll pretend <laughs> it's a bit, and then we'll always be right. Because yes, it's a bit. I like always being right. Long-time viewers will know... Sorry, short-time viewers will know... Jacob... Likes clones. I like clones. This makes clones in the weirdest possible way. Which is... All our clones. Of this one specific thing. It's a little bit... Nonbo with itself, because turning everything permanently into copies of one thing means that you severely limit your options for later on. But if that one thing is a Blightsteel Colossus, you won't have much time to regret that choice. To me, two of the weirdest interactions for Bluticlad. Blu- 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 <laughs> There's Bluticlad <laughs> and Reticlad. <laughs> they fuse. <laughs> into Bruticlad. The two weirdest interactions with Bruticlad. One is the fact that it doesn't care whether those tokens are creatures or are not. In recent years, we've had two notable mechanics that cared about artifact tokens that were not creatures. There was Investigate from Shadows over Innistrad, which creates clue tokens that can be sacrificed to draw a card. And then, on Ixalan, there were treasure tokens that can be sacrificed for one mana of any color. Bruticlad can make those tokens into creatures, or creatures into those tokens, depending on what strategy you want to play. The other weird interaction is that any effect that makes a token copy of a thing lets Bruticlad convert all your other tokens into that token of that thing. Most often this is going to be creatures, because there are a number of blue effects like Rite of Replication that create a token that is a copy of a creature. On occasion, it might be something even further afield. Like if you manage to shenanigans your way into a copy of your Gideon, though turning everyone into a legendary planeswalker is not the best idea because you'll need to sacrifice all but one of them. The point stands that if you can make a thing into a creature and then make a copy of it that is a token, Bruticlad can make all your tokens that thing. I've just hastily scribbled down ideas for the two deck archetypes that you've designed as Cluticlad and Dudiclad. <laughs> I love it. Someone somewhere is already making both of these decks, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Do you have decks yet for Reticlad and Bluticlad? They're weaker, I admit. <laughs> One Declad, two Declad, <laughs> Reticlad, Bruticlad. <laughs> that's not a joke. These are just words. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm trying to imagine what happens if you mash up Dr. Seuss and New Phyrexia, and the image is both incredible and terrifying. It's not pretty, but it is astonishingly well rendered. <laughs> <laughs> give give me a sec. I need to I need to try something. Hang on. Oh no. What dark sciences are you enacting upon this show? Mostly I'm looking over Dr. Seuss's Oh the Places You'll Go and imagining all the ways you could change it to be Phyrexian. Oh the things you'll complete. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to the great work. You're off and away. Oh no. You have brains in your head. And brains in your hand. And brains in those jars. You can steer yourself in any direction that we allowed you to with the steering wheel we built into you. (laughs) Are you telling me that the Phyrexians have steering wheels? And that's how they enact their mind control? Have you seen Bruticlad? I haven't seen the back of Azuri's neck. So admittedly, I can't say for certain that this isn't the case. There is so much loose metal and wire on Bruticlad, I'm sure he has room for a steering wheel somewhere. Ugh, I've taken us totally off the rails, but that's great because we have a steering wheel. (laughs)
Judging by the gaping hole in his chest, he could, he's got room for a Coke machine. Is this what happens when we don't record together for like a week? Yeah, I think it is. It's like we have a buildup of additional stupid. <laughs> I've still got plenty to go, though. I've written down stoop-declad with a couple <laughs> question marks after it, and I don't think it's going anywhere. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm going to try to keep the stupid in check oh, and form full sentences that don't involve either Dr. Seuss rhymes or the Phyrexians as I tell you about deck theme three of four. I give you five minutes. That's generous. <laughs> <laughs> Exceedingly generous. For the Planeswalker of the Esper Top Deck deck, which is not going to get hard to say ever, we have Aminatu the Fate Shifter, who is a fantastically designed card in terms of both flavor and mechanics. Mostly in flavor, I think. The mechanics are fine. White, blue, black. For a Planeswalker that enters with three loyalty counters. Plus one, draw a card, then put a card from your hand on top of your library. Minus one, exile another target permanent you own, then return it to the battlefield under your control. The fact that it is a permanent you own, not control, is very important because of her ult. Minus six, choose left or right. Each player gains control of all non-land permanents other than Aminatu, the Fate Shifter, controlled by the next player in the chosen direction. And of course, she can be your commander. As far as top deck themes go, Aminatu's a little bit weird. The plus one helps fuel it fine. The other two pieces are not really relevant to that, but they are a cool kit of prepare to steal your things and then slowly take mine back. Now, from a flavor standpoint, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to go read the article that I believe Allison Lurs published about Aminatu's flavor because there was so much careful thought put into her as a character. Aminatu is a child. She's probably about seven, I think is what we've been told. And you'll notice she's a planeswalker. Not because she had a traumatic event that ignited her spark, but because Aminatu is the sort of person who has ancestral knowledge. I think she has all the memories of like her mother or grandmother, which means she is, by definition, wise beyond her years. She also has some amount of future sight because she saw that at some point she was going to have her spark ignite. And she said, why would I wait? And just made it happen, which is terrifying. She's established to not be able to change the past, which is very important in a brand new era of magic storytelling where anything already kind of goes. So introducing a character who could retcon at will scared the Vorthos community for more than a little while when she was revealed. But it was confirmed that she can only redirect the fate of the future. She can do that with alarming precision, however. See, also ignited her own planeswalker spark. And the vehicle by which she does this fate shifting are her moths. If her moth lands on you, it probably means that she said, I'm going to tweak your future in a little way. You probably won't know what way, but she will. The other very, very carefully thought out piece of Aminatu's character was making her a child. And I don't say that in a derogatory way. I don't mean that they said like, hey, let's just randomly make a child. There is effort put into making Aminatu both a frightening character in power without making her a stereotypical tropey like this is a horror movie young girl and also making her seem powerful. And this is the kicker without defaulting to what at least American society and I'm sure many societies around the world characterize as powerful, specifically looking at American children, the things that are perceived as 
dominant for a girl to act or present herself are very often through masculine things, presenting in a masculine way or doing masculine activities. And probably a lot of that is based in the kind of patriarchal, sometimes toxic masculine society that this is. There is, even now in 2018, this overriding background idea that masculine things are dominant, are powerful, are the things you lead with. Aminatu's design is a character who is powerful, but is not powerful in appearance because she embraces masculine gender roles. Does this distinction matter to most people? No, probably not. She's just a badass. But that's the sort of thing that I can really appreciate. Creating a character and understanding the context of the society that we live in, and that this character is not beholden to the same structure. I've taken us way off the rails there, so let me quickly tell you the other two commanders that headline this deck. One is Verena Lich Queen. One white-blue-black for a 4-4 legendary creature zombie wizard. Whenever you attack with one or more zombies, draw that many cards. Then discard that many cards. You gain that much life. Two, exile two cards from your graveyard. Create a tapped 2-2 black zombie creature token. Esper Zombies is a pretty fine theme, especially since Innistrad Block and Shadows Over Innistrad Block have given us blue-black zombies, and most recently, Amonkhet Block gave us white-black zombies. It's nice to have a commander that unites all those together. That said, she has nothing to do with top deck manipulation. I am tentatively curious to see where Verena is from, because she's a, well, a zombie wizard, as her pipeline indicates, and she seems to be projecting some kind of almost sci-fi user interface through her fingers, and that doesn't jive with any plane that I know of. My guess, and this is a severely uneducated guess, is that she is a Grixis Lich Queen who has found her home on Esper after the events of the Conflux, purely from the warped metal of the throne that she's sitting on and the, I guess, analytical magic that she's been using, despite also still being a zombie lord. Until I learn otherwise, I will totally accept this headcanon. And lastly, we have Yennet Cryptic Sovereign. Two white-blue-black for a 3-5 legendary creature Sphinx with flying vigilance and menace, and whenever she attacks, reveal the top card of your library. If that card's converted mana cost is odd, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. Otherwise, draw a card. And this is totally on theme with top deck manipulation. Also, I appreciate it for being a theme that you wouldn't think you could build a deck around, but now you totally can. There's been exactly one CMC odd or even matters, I think, card in at least my memory of playing Magic, and that's the your opponents can't even Eldrazi, whose name escapes me. Void Winnower. Yes. Great verb. Very hard to remember, though. It's true. It says that your opponents can't cast even converted mana cost spells, and also that creatures with even converted mana costs can't block. That your opponents control. So there's one card that I knew of that also cared about evens and odds in some form. Apparently there's one I didn't know about called Chaos Moon that is very texty and I'm not going to bother reading. It's from Ice Age. The other <laughs> one, though, is Ashling's Prerogative. One in a red for an enchantment. As it enters the battlefield, choose odd or even. Each creature with converted mana cost of the chosen value has haste. Each creature without that CMC enters the battlefield tapped. Taken all as a package, the Esper deck does a pretty fine job of getting the theme. Yenet is most on point. Verena has almost nothing to do with it. And Aminatu is not a commander who pays off that theme, but she does facilitate you using other cards 
that fit that theme. So that's fine. And while we're going to get to some of the off main color commanders a little bit later, the blue-black creature that is in this deck happens to also play with the theme, whereas it seems like the other off-color creatures don't really have to do with their deck's theme. I'm almost glad that the Esper deck doesn't hold as strongly to its theme, because, and here comes my hot take for the episode, I don't think that top deck manipulation is a theme that a commander product, at least, should be striving for with its pre-constructed decks. This comes from the same place that I have the long, well-known hatred of Cascade for. It's a cool theme, but it does not facilitate playing magic. And that is a very broad statement that I'm sure someone will find counterexamples of the way that I like to play magic. But something about top deck manipulation being the thing that your deck does strikes me the wrong way. I understand that people play magic for a bunch of different reasons, and if you enjoy playing around with your deck as a resource, it's a weird thing to do. It's different. It's not something that happens in every game of magic. But Commander is a format that, at its worst, in my opinion, is a bunch of people playing their own games of magic, and occasionally an overlap will come in when someone wins the game all by themselves or starts to attack, and in a lot of environments... Interaction is explicitly not the goal of a game of Commander, and that personally is not the way that I want to play. <laughs> Lastly, we have the Jund Lands Matter deck, which we will get to, but let's start with the Commanders. Lord Windgrace is the Planeswalker Commander, and aside from everything else that this deck has going on, that's awesome. That's a great choice. I love that we have a Lord Windgrace card. We are going to begrudge the deck for a dozen and a half other things, but making Lord Windgrace the premier planeswalker for this deck is an A-plus choice that I would not take back. For the less Vorthosi inclined among you, Lord Windgrace is one very prominent old walker. So we're talking prominent in Magic story before the modern era, last appearance in the story as a character, and not as a name at least, was in Time Spiral, so he's pretty far back. Lord Windgrace is two black-red-green for a legendary planeswalker subtype Windgrace that enters with five loyalty counters. His plus two ability is discard a card, then draw a card. If a land card is discarded this way, draw an additional card. His minus three ability is return up to two target land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. And his ultimate is minus eleven, destroy up to six target non-land permanents, then create six two-two green cat warrior creature tokens with forest walk. And, of course, Lord Windgrace can be your commander. This is a fine Lands Matter commander. The plus two and minus three abilities, which you will be using the most often, out of all the times that you cast and play Lord Windgrace, interact with lands explicitly. The last one is kind of odd in that it specifies non-land permanence, especially for an ultimate ability, but you know what? I'll take it. You create six Cat Warrior creature tokens no matter what. Destroying a bunch of stuff is just part of the fun. Next, we have Gyrus, Waker of Corpses. X black-red-green for a 0-0 legendary creature Hydra. It enters the battlefield with a number of plus one, plus one counters on it, equal to the amount of mana spent to cast it. And whenever Gyrus attacks, you may exile target creature card with lesser power from your graveyard. If you do, create a token that's a copy of that card, and that's tapped and attacking. It's a very odd little turn of phrase that they had to do for the rules there. 
Exile the token at the end of combat. It's a lot of ands. And one end. And that's is an odd phrase that tripped me up there. Jairus, if we wanted to get real, real pedantic, and I don't, you could say that having X and being a Hydra means that it rewards a ramp strategy, and ramp strategies are lands. I don't buy it. This isn't about lands. Yeah, it's a bit too generous. It's a neat card. It's kind of cool, but this is a reanimator commander. Oh, assuredly. Yeah, very weird. Very cool. And lastly, we have Thantis, the Warweaver. Three black, red, green for a 5-5 legendary creature, Spider. It has vigilance and reach. All creatures attack each combat if able, and whenever a creature attacks you or a planeswalker you control, put a plus one, plus one counter on Thantis, the Warweaver. Flavor text, I mention it because so few of these have room for flavor text. She spins a web few can resist. Its sweet aroma sparks chaos in every heart. Not even close to being a lands commander. Like, not even pretending to be a lands commander. And again, there's nothing wrong with these commanders taken individually. The weird thing is that this was messaged as a lands matter deck, and the most that lands matter is with one of the commanders, and in a neat way, but just the one. I even hesitate to call the way neat, if I may be so bold. Because planeswalkers... (laughs) They're interesting design space, to be sure. But these abilities are just solid, activated abilities. They are decent value. They function when the rest of the cards in your deck are doing the thing that you want. But they don't interact with lands in a unique way. Take, for example, the Gitrog monster. That card, and using that card as your commander, and even having that card on the battlefield, fundamentally changes the way that you interact with your lands. Lord Windgrace kind of doesn't. You're using your lands as a useful resource to produce mana, and sometimes you can have more of them, or you can cycle them from your graveyard back to the battlefield, but then they're just lands again. They don't really matter in any unique way. Now, I think you are correct, and I totally agree with you there. I call that an upside, not of Windgrace specifically, but of all the Planeswalker commanders in this set. Don't let this diminish the fact that, yes, the other two commanders should have had anything to do with lands to make this deck be a more meaningful Lands Matters deck. But I adore the Planeswalker commanders that are in this set. Let's make as a point of comparison the, well, only other commander expansion that had commanders that were Planeswalkers, Commander 2014. Of those commanders... Nahiri made an indestructible, very powerful equipment. Tefiri made an emblem that lets you activate Planeswalker loyalty abilities on other people's turns. Obnixilis gave you an emblem that let you draw lots of cards by sacrificing creatures. Duretti gave you an emblem where your artifacts would come back to the battlefield after dying, quote-unquote. And then Freylise is probably the best example that I'm going for among them, because she drew you a lot of cards. She drew you a card for each green creature that you controlled, which is good, but not backbreaking. You will notice that not a single one of these ults is completely game-ending. The weirdest, most kind of irrevocable one to me is Aminatu's, because you're changing control of a lot of permanents at once. That doesn't usually happen. But it almost certainly does not end the game. And there are board states where that won't matter. Estrid is very powerful, Effects like Replenish, Retether, are characteristically good effects in an Enchantress deck. But it 
only has a chance of ending the game. Lord Windgrace, great removal, lots of tokens. It would take you many turns to kill someone with just those tokens. And Sahili, copy of each artifact. If you have a large board, that might end the game. Most times it won't. Then, the other abilities that these Planeswalkers have are also not terrifying. They do small things that help knit the deck together. Sahili makes artifacts and reduces the cost of your spells based on artifacts. Aminatu gives you a built-in way of using top deck manipulation. Lord Windgrace feeds into a strategy that cares about lands in your graveyard. And finally, Estrid gives you auras slash enchantments. Works well in a number of enchantment-type decks. But none of these are shoot on sight. Playing against some of the original Commander 2014 commanders, I don't lose the game when a Duretti ults, but there's a very good chance that I do. I'm going to take every action in my power to stop a Duretti or a Tefiri from ulting, because it will fundamentally alter the way I play the game for the worse. These commanders are designed in such a way that they do not do that, and I think that is a very good improvement in their design. In fact, I would go as far to say that that is something true of this set in general. It's too early to say if one of these commanders is going to be totally bonkers ridiculous in more competitive metagames or in competitive commander variants, like commanders such as Prosh or Vile Smasher were. But at least at the outset, I can look at these planeswalkers and say, these aren't going to break the game. That's fair. Counterpoint, I don't want to play Lord Windgrace in my lands deck. That's fine. Totally fine. And you don't need to. From a single card perspective, yeah. But I think it's a failure of the product. When even the thing that is supposed to get me excited about playing a lands deck doesn't do that. And most of that is being put on the fact that I don't really have an alternative. But I don't know. I swore that I was not going to be the person that rails against the Jun lands deck for an entire episode. But here I am. <laughs> And that's fine, I still do think you're justified. What I am looking at is that these Planeswalkers have a strong unity of design. They were all clearly made with the same philosophy of having Planeswalkers that knit a theme together rather than are very powerful in that theme on their own. Can they be? Sure. But left unchecked, they won't run away with the game. On that axis... I think Lord Windgrace is fine, because it matches everything else that the Planeswalkers do here. The Jund deck as a whole, I think the failing is less with Lord Windgrace, and more with the fact that the other commanders, both the two other Jund-colored ones, and the off-color, less thematic one, have nothing to do with lands. That's the big issue to me. Comparing back to the Bant deck for a minute, I described how each of these enchantment commanders has a very different take on the enchantment theme. And Eshrid also is fine and brings the theme together, but isn't super powerful. The Jun deck matches Eshrid with Windgrace, but falls short on the rest of the commander slots. I think we have successfully put that point to rest. So let's go on to the rare commanders that are not in the full color identity of the deck, but are extra little bonuses that go along with each of the decks. I will roughly call this a cycle because each deck has one commander that does not use the full color identity of the deck that is not necessarily in theme, but was an excuse to print a creature that deserved printing for one reason or another. I'm going to start with the bonus commander from the Jun deck, because I actually really enjoyed this design. 
Zancha Sleeper Agent is one black red for a 5-5 legendary creature minion. As Zancha Sleeper Agent enters the battlefield, an opponent of your choice gains control of it. Zancha attacks each combat if able and can't attack its owner or planeswalkers its owner controls. Zancha also has an activated ability of 3, Zancha's controller loses 2 life and you draw a card. Any player may activate this ability. Giving control of creatures that you own to your opponents is weird design space. It was used most flavorfully on a crow and horse back in Theros block, which was an artifact creature that you could send over to your opponent's battlefield and it would pop out guys for you every turn. Zancha takes that base concept of giving your opponents a thing, but it's really a resource for you, up to 11. Everyone is invested in having Zancha stay on the battlefield for as long as possible. Even in an odd way, the opponent that you give it to. Three mana, lose two life to draw a card is not a great rate. It's pretty bad. But the ability to do it without, say, a tap cost or any sort of limiting factor on that, in the right deck that normally couldn't play this kind of effect, it can be valuable. So Zancha plays in the odd political sphere of Commander where your opponent has this thing and is utterly conflicted as to whether or not they want to keep it. That's interesting decision-making. That is interactivity, and that is the kind of Commander game that I want to play every single time. She further helps to balance out the equation by being a turn 3-5-5 that you gifted to a player. Worst case scenario, they will totally be willing to swing at someone else with that. Which is another thing that Commander balks at sometimes. Attacking is not a thing that you always want to do because it paints a target on your head. But cards that say, well, I had to attack, so no hard feelings, right? Sometimes work. It's a very good method of foisting off the blame. Even if you may have wanted to do that anyway. Two of these commanders made me actively squeal with delight when I heard them. The first one is Arix Mithis, Slumbering Isle. Two green-blue for a 12-12 legendary creature, Kraken. Arix Mithis enters the battlefield tapped with five slumber counters on it. As long as Arix Mithis has a slumber counter on it, it's a land. Whenever you cast a spell, you may remove a slumber counter from Arix Mithis. And it has the ability tap, add green-blue. Irix Mithis had a little bit of screen time, and in fact the only screen time that it had, during Theros block, when Kiora went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Thassa, god of the sea. Kiora's original goal on Theros was to recruit sea monsters that she could summon on Zendikar to fight the Eldrazi, and Arix Mithis was her goal, this being an island-sized kraken complete with actual town built on it because it is dormant. She was unsuccessful in rousing Irix Mithis slash learning how to summon it, Instead, she stole Thassa's Pickle Fork. I mean, her Bident. This card is the weird lands commander that I wanted in the Jun deck, and that's the last thing I'm going to say about that. I think it's fair to say that there is no previous commander that is effectively a land. Also, I don't know if this is by accident or not, but I love that it combos very well with one of the printings of Kiora, that is Kiora, Master of Depths, and Kiora's Follower from Born of the Gods, as both of these are blue-green cards that can untap lands. It's got some cute symmetry with the gods of Theros as well, that are a certain card type until they're not, as a condition is met. It's obviously not the same thing. There's no devotion at play here, which makes sense, because Arismethes is not a god. But I did like that tiny little bit of callback to Theros' design, even if it wasn't necessarily intentional. 
From the artifact deck, we have Varchild, Betrayer of Kjeldor. Two and a red for a 3-3 legendary creature human knight. Whenever Varchild, Betrayer of Kjeldor, deals combat damage to a player, that player creates that many 1-1 red survivor creature tokens. Survivors your opponents control can't block, and they can't attack you or a planeswalker you control. When Varchild leaves the battlefield, gain control of all survivors. You know what? I think I need to go pick up a couple of these decks so that I can make a red-black Zancha have this thing deck. Because Varchild and Zancha both play in that same space. On an entirely different note, it's very possible that my vote for most badass card in this set goes to not a card. Instead, Johannes Voss's Survivor Token. Go look it up. It's so good. Oh, wow. That is badass. Nice. The person in this art is the very incarnation of you killed my family, now prepare to die. And for our final bonus commander, I shall say, we have Yuriko, the tiger's shadow. Yuriko, I have found her! (laughs) No! Actually, if I'm thinking about what is likely proper, well, not Japanese pronunciation, but Japanese-style pronunciation is probably Yuriko. Yuriko, because there's no inflection in Japanese. It's very challenging for someone whose native language is English. She is one blue-black for a 1-3 legendary creature human ninja with, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Commander Ninjutsu for blue-black. That means that whenever there is an unblocked creature under your control, you can pay blue-black to return that creature to your hand and put her on the battlefield tapped and attacking. This is, of course, referencing the mechanic Ninjutsu from Kamigawa Block, which does the same thing except it can't do it from the command zone, which this one can do, as well as your hand. Then, whenever a ninja you control deals combat damage to a player, reveal the top card of your library and put that card into your hand. Each opponent loses life equal to that card's converted mana cost. Also, she is the one I was referring to when I said that the not-full-deck color commander also did play in cool top-deck manipulation space. Ninjas are a huge, lovely fantasy trope. Magic has done them once or twice. And, most notably, when Plane Chase 2012 did a ninja-themed deck, it did not give a commander that actually stated ninjas matter on it. It gave us Vela the Nightclad, who played in the same space as ninjas, but wasn't really the same thing. Yuriko is that. Yuriko is precisely that, and I know I am one of many people who are going to replace the commander of their blue-black ninjas etc. deck with Yuriko. I can't stop reading the words commander ninjutsu. It sounds fake. (laughs) It does, doesn't it? It sounds completely fake. It's even weirder than the partner with cards that we got in Battle Bond, because at least partner with blank sounds kind of... Oh, I see, like they work together. There's a a kind of a... an understandable in-world reasoning for why this happens like they call out to one another and they're there this one drops all pretense this name is not flavorful it's fine but it gets the idea across i also had a few concerns about cheating the commander tax with this but you're attacking which means that that's a significant cost in a game of commander so i think it's fine that said she can only replace an unblocked attacker so she is safe from being blocked this is the part of the podcast where we This is the part of the episode where we get conflicted about, should we just press on with more cards or attempt a part two that talks about the non-commander cards? I think the answer here is that we probably should just cut it off here, having had some lovely discussions about the mechanics of this commander set, these commanders, where they succeeded, where they fell short. I will, however, give myself one allowance. 
So, Jacob, if someone wanted to ask you how the card Endless Atlas, with art by frequent Talking Atlas guest Titus Lunter, did not end up being a preview card for this podcast, where would they go? They could find me anywhere they find someone named Frogger, spelled P-H-R-A-W-G-E-R. That's Twitter, that's Tumblr, that's Reddit, and your guess is as good as mine, potential listener. No, 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 viewer. Right, viewer, Potential yes. viewer. You can see the embarrassed look on my face. It's true. I can't. I lied. It's a bit. It's all been a bit. And, Bryce, if someone would like to contact you with a six-figure children's book deal for How the Praetor Stole Christmas, where would they be able to find you? They would be able to find me on Twitter as walking underscore atlas, or you can email us at info at opalnebula.com, and I definitely don't already have a treatment for that. For more Talking Atlas, find us on iTunes, Google Play, or our website, opalnebula.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please consider finding us on Discord. The link to the Opal Nebula Discord will be in the description for today's episode. It's a lovely place to find us and discuss which cards you think we really should have talked about during this time. Thank you all so much for joining us through this Commander 2018 episode, and I... You, hold on, there's a... There's a moth got in here. Just go shoot, shoot. Okay, go ahead. And until next time, happy planeswalking, everyone. 